Good morning and welcome to worship. The psalmist writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How thankful we are for the Lord's goodness and mercy, which have followed us all the way through another week. And let's join our hearts and our voices together in the praise of our God as we sing together our opening hymn. If you're using a hymn book, it's 808, 808, and it's a recent version of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. The opening hymn. Let's all pray together. O Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true and living God, we worship you, for you alone are worthy. And this is the song of our hearts uh, this morning, uh, that we will trust in you alone. How we thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you that he came into the world to save as sinners. How we thank you that he went all the way to the cross to purchase our pardon. We know, O Lord, that left to ourselves, we would be estranged from you for time and for eternity, with no hope of ever being reconciled to you. 
But we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have intervened in the person of your Son, that you have sent him to be the Savior of the world, that you have secured for us salvation in him, so that we can turn from our sin and we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we can be saved for now and forever. So we thank you, O Lord, for each one gathered in this place this morning who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be drawn nearer to him this day, that we might know him better, that we might love him more, and that we might be increasingly conformed to his image. And for any who as yet are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, as you have had mercy upon us, so we pray that you would have mercy upon them and that you would lead them by grace to trust in Jesus Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Oh Lord, we confess our many sins to you, sins of this past week, even sins of this day thus far, sins of thought, word and deed, things we've done that we shouldn't have done, things we've left undone that we ought to have done. We feel how unprofitable and unworthy we are. But we thank you that our acceptance is not based on anything we are or will ever be or anything we have done or will ever do, but solely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ uh, the Lord. And so we pray for that fresh assurance of pardon. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would stir our spirits this morning, that we may worship you from full hearts, that we may not simply be going through uh, the motions of an external service of worship, but, O oh Lord, that we might be moved deep uh, within our souls, that we may have hearts full and overflowing with love to our Saviour, and that the pray uh, praises we offer would be the overflow of the devotion of our hearts as we revel in your mercy towards us as we uh, marvel at so great salvation and rejoice in uh, such a glorious uh, saviour we do thank you O lord for your goodness and mercy to us through another week and we thank you for bringing us to another uh, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first and the best day of the week, uh, that together we might gather to worship you and to hear your word. And as the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed again this morning, uh, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, that your word might come to each one of our hearts with freshness, reality and power and that each one of us might be given uh, to hear uh, your voice by your word and, and by your spirit. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who are sick and struggling, and we pray, O oh Lord, for those who are troubled and tried. We pray, O oh Lord, for your persecuted people in different parts of the world. We pray, O oh Lord, for missionaries serving you overseas. We pray, O oh Lord, for uh, the royal family and the government and all in authority over us. We would pray, O oh Lord, for all those who need our prayers. And we thank you that you are the prayer hearing and the prayer answering God. And we pray that you would deign to bless us in this gathering together now. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me repeat the welcome, the warmest of welcomes to our morning service here at Welcome Hall Evangelical Church. And if you're visiting with us today, then a very special welcome 
to you. There's Cresh and Young Church as ever this morning, and uh, the children go to their groups during the third hymn. So if you have children for Cresh or Young Church, just send them into the central aisle uh, during the third hymn, and the uh, helpers will take them uh, to their groups. We have Investigators and Kids Connect Extra uh, this afternoon for the children, both starting at 2.30. And then our evening service, which will include communion, is at the regular time of 6 o'clock. Some notices for the coming week, for Lord willing. A coffee morning, Tuesday at 10.30. A small groups, a Tuesday at 7.45. And uh, this week we'll be starting a, a new series of small group Bible studies uh, called Christian Essentials. And uh, if you're coming along regularly to uh, services on a Sunday, uh, but you're uh, not uh, yet plugged into a small group, if that's something that might interest you, let me encourage you to uh, speak to me or to Gordon uh, or to any of the elders, and uh, we'd be happy uh, to link you up with a small group uh, to attend. Litter pick in Catsill, Wednesday at 10.30. Uh, babies and toddlers, uh, Wednesday at 1.30. And Kids Connect, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Next Sunday, uh, services at the regular times of 10.30 in the morning and 6 o'clock in the evening. And once again, communion will be a part of the evening service. Uh, there'll be no afternoon groups for children and young people uh, next Sunday as it's the half-term holidays. And then just to mention a couple of conferences, uh, some of our young people will be away next weekend at the National Young Life Conference, Rooted, uh, and so we pray for them that they would have a, a happy and a blessed time there and also over recent weeks we've been mentioning the upcoming next generation conference being held by the midlands gospel partnership at cornerstone church in nottingham on saturday the 4th of march this is a a day conference for people involved in any form of children's and youth ministry in local churches and I think uh, one or two at least are hoping to go. If you're hoping to go but haven't yet uh, uh, declared your interest, today is the final day for signing up, please. So if you'd like to go to the Next Generation Conference in Nottingham on Saturday the 4th of March, you need to give your name and your workshop choices uh, to Lorraine Dudley, our administrator, uh, by the end of today, please. Any questions about any of that, you can ask Lorraine or Gordon, and they should be able to help you. We're going to sing again, uh, this time uh, the lovely hymn, Jesus as Strong and Kind, the next hymn. Sorry, we seem to have an issue uh, with the tech, um, so we'll postpone the next hymn. Uh, what we were going to do after the next hymn for our weekly item uh, was to have a, a mission update from time to time in our morning services. We spend a few minutes just thinking about some uh, aspect of uh, mission, uh, remembering uh, that as a church, as part of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility uh, to make disciples of all uh, nations. 
And uh, one of the uh, mission works that we're privileged to uh, partner with uh, as uh, a church is UBM, a United Beach Missions, who run uh, beach missions in various parts of this country and further afield over the summer, as well as other uh, evangelistic events. And uh, uh, we've been delighted over recent years that different ones from the uh, fellowship here have gone uh, to help uh, with uh, beach missions. Uh, and normally around about this time of year, we, we do a bit of a focus on the work of UBM. I want to encourage prayer for all the planning and preparations that are, uh, are being made already uh, for the summer campaign. Uh, but also to encourage uh, folks who've been before and folks who've not been before uh, to think about possibly getting involved in uh, the work of United Beach Missions uh, this uh, summer. And uh, you can go on Beach Mission if you're single, and you can go on Beach Mission as a married couple. Family. That's not something I've ever done, but it is something that. their first experience of Beach Mission uh, last summer and uh, how that uh, went for them. So welcome uh, Sam and, uh, and Rachel. And Sam, perhaps we could begin with you. Uh, can you tell us just something of what a, a typical day on Beach Mission was like, the kind of things that you're involved with? Sure, yeah. Um, I think different teams do things slightly differently, um, but I think every team has uh, quite a action-packed days on, on beach mission so for us it was uh, started waking up uh, about seven every morning uh, we were the, the men were sleeping in a village hall the ladies had a uh, place in the in the, the team house um, so wake up at seven we'd have um, uh, some time for quiet time first of all and then we'd all drive over to the the team house for a breakfast at about uh, eight um, and then we'd have some time together as a team for morning worship, uh, singing some hymns, and uh, the team leader would lead us in uh, some, some devotions. And then it was our, our team time, which was uh, time to prepare for uh, the day's activities. Um, we were divided into, uh, into sub-teams, uh, and each sub-team had different things to do. Uh, there was a rotor. We Christians love our rotors, don't we? So each term, team got a, a turn doing you know, everything from the, the serving to washing up, um, and then the different activities down on the beach. Um, so we'd be preparing for you know, whatever we're going to be doing for the day ahead. And then we'd uh, be going down to the beach, uh, setting up there. We'd have, some, um, we'd have a, a morning session. Um, and then we'd have the, the, the sort of the big event of the day would be the, the holiday special in the afternoon. Uh, so that would include things like doing uh, games for the kids and then trying to get them to come and sit under the, under the tent, under the gazebo. And we'd have uh, songs and stories. So that would be sort of the day's activities. Um, and then we'd go back to the house for, uh, for the evening meal. Um, and then some evenings we'd have uh, evening activities. We did a, a pirate trail, a smuggler's trail around the village one night and we had a, a family fun night another night. And then there was also time to be together um, as a team. We had a, a team barbecue. We had a different beach, you know, in our, our non-red T-shirts because we were off duty. 
Um, so yeah, very action-packed days. Thanks, Sam. Rachel, uh, what was it like going on Beach Mission as a, as a family? How, how, how did you find that? How did it work for you? Um, yeah, I think it worked very well. I think before I went, one of my concerns was that we would be a burden on the team, you know, having the children with us. Um, but right from the beginning, the leadership were, um, you know, trying to make it work for us, finding us the best place to go to. And when we got there, the team were so welcoming, particularly of the children, and they included them in everything. They were, you know, part of the team. And um, then, obviously, on the beach, it's actually an advantage to have children because children attract children. So, you know, we had children to start the games and children to start the stories with, so that was definitely a, a benefit. Um, and, obviously, we were both full team members, so we were both in our, our sub-teams and had, uh, you know, different roles throughout the day. Um, but our uh, leaders of our sub-teams were both, you know, telling us that the children are the priority so you know if you need to go and do something with them then you can go and do that but actually I think in reality we hardly saw the children because <laughs> they spent most of the time with the other team members because they were more interesting than us <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it'll work very well and we um you know we the children enjoyed it I think if you ask any of them they would say that they want to go back this year they've been begging us to book again so from their point of view it was definitely a, a a good thing as well. Yeah, it's a very positive experience. Thank you. And then one last question. No doubt for anybody, uh, whether uh, going individually or as a couple or as a family, uh, first week on Beach Mission, going to be lots of encouragements, perhaps some challenges as well. W would one of you like to share with us a, a particular challenge from your time on Beach Mission and the other perhaps a, a particular encouragement? Yeah, I, I suppose two, two challenges for me came to mind. One was... Uh, you know, a, a sort of a very practical challenge. You um, obviously giving talks to the children um, every day of the week and uh, limited time to prepare for those. So I remember uh, one day we were told uh, for our truth spot where we were uh, speaking about the something, one of the attributes of God every day, it was our turn um, to speak about the Trinity. So we had about half an hour to prepare a little mini children's <laughs> talk on the Trinity wherein we wouldn't, uh, wouldn't lose their attention, we wouldn't confuse them, we wouldn't teach them heresy. So that was uh, quite a challenge, but a positive one. The, the other one was um, the challenge of you know, living up to your Christian profession, because it's very easy in day-to-day -day life when you're just uh, you know, doing the normal round of things and going out to work, just to drift into a, you know, just a, a secular way of, of living. But you know, being there with Christians... Um, there who, those who are there to, to, to serve the Lord, it's a challenge, a very positive challenge to, to look at the examples of other people and, and to remember that this is you know, the, the way we're called to live. So I, I found that a challenge, but a very positive challenge. Thanks, sir. Yeah, so uh, encouragement-wise, I think it was just a real privilege to be able to spend a week telling people about Jesus, to be on the beach. And we had, um, obviously, the children's work, but we were also um, walking up and down kind of just the promenade and giving leaflets out and there were so many people that were willing to talk I don't know whether it's because they were on holiday or but they were just seemed generally more willing to talk lots of people asking questions and children asking questions and it was just such a privilege to have your focus of your week doing that work um, and I think also just spending time for a week with other Christians you know when you're eating together and uh, working together praying together you just get to know people so quickly and you became sort of a family together living together and that was just such a joy and I think I, I suppose going on beach mission I thought that it would be hard work um, 
I was looking forward to it, but I don't think in all honesty I was expecting to enjoy it. Um, but we did enjoy it as a family. And I think part of that enjoyment was just getting to know getting to know the other Christians and, you know, having that time together and doing the work we were doing. So. Sam, Rachel, thank you both thank you. very much indeed. And yes, let's be much in prayer for uh, the work of UBM. And if you haven't been on Beach Mission before, but uh, have some interest in exploring that possibility, you could speak to Sam or Rachel or Alan, uh, one of our other elders, Alan Wells, is very heavily involved in the uh, ministry of UBM or others in the church who've been before, I'm sure they'd be happy to do their best uh, to answer your questions. But let's just spend a moment praying uh, for UBM. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as a local church we can uh, partner with various uh, gospel uh, ministries in order to help to uh, get the good news out uh, in this nation and further afield. And we thank you for uh, UBM, for United Beach Missions, for its long history, uh, for its faithfulness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and for the way that you've used it over many years and many uh, decades. We thank you that we can partner with them as a church. We thank you for all those from the church here who've gone on beach missions over uh, the recent years uh, and that uh, not only ha have they been a blessing to UBM, but, but UBM have been such a blessing to them and through them uh, to us as a local church. And we do uh, commit to you uh, the, uh, this year's uh, beach missions, uh, this summer, uh, all the plans and the preparations that are being uh, made already, all those who will lead, all those who will help, all those who will be reached in one way or another with the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, we pray uh, that everything would go well on a practical level, that people who've helped before would want to help again, uh, that new people would want to help to uh, strengthen uh, the teams. Uh, and we pray, O oh Lord, most of all, that you would grant lasting gospel fruit uh, from the beach missions this year, that there would be many people for whom a beach mission this year would be a significant link in the chain on their journey to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his matchless name. Amen. Amen. We'll have our Bible reading next, uh, turning together in the uh, New Testament to Mark's Gospel and Chapter 2. Mark's Gospel and Chapter 2, reading this chapter all the way through from its beginning to its end. Mark 2. And again Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, 
Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God as saying, We never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and uh, they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. And may God bless his word to our hearts by his gracious Holy Spirit. We're going to sing again uh, 603 in the hymn books. Hopefully uh, you've been given a hymn book. We're going to sing 603. Uh, for those who are going to Crash and Young Church, uh, this is the third hymn, even though it's only the second hymn. You know what I mean? Uh, so 603 years I spent in vanity and pride. The third hymn. 
on Sunday mornings, we're in Mark's Gospel, uh, doing a series of sermons we've called Good News in a Bad News World. We're living in a bad news world. You only need to uh, turn on the news on the TV uh, to uh, get that. Uh, so much of the news seems to be a bad news. But there is a good news. The Lord Jesus Christ is a good news. And uh, there is wonderful good news for each and every one of us in him, who he is and all that he has done. This morning we've just read this second chapter of Mark's Gospel and in the middle of this chapter we have the narrative of Jesus calling uh, Levi, also known as Matthew, same fellow, uh, to follow him. Uh, verse 14 we're told that Jesus said to Matthew, follow me and Matthew arose and uh, followed him. You, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember we were thinking about Simon and Andrew and then uh, James and John and how the Lord said to them, uh, follow me, and immediately they followed him. Now here again, Matthew, a Levi, the Lord Jesus says to him, uh, follow me, and he rises up and he follows him. And that is the call of the Lord Jesus Christ today as it has always been. To each and every one that we might follow him, that we might turn from our sin in repentance and that we might turn to him in faith. That we might trust him, that we might love him with our whole hearts and that we might live for him with every fibre of our being. So the Lord Jesus Christ says to you this morning, follow me and oh that you would uh, follow him. But what happens next in the middle of this second chapter of Mark's Gospel? Well, Jesus dines in Levi's house, and he does so with various notorious individuals, those described as tax collectors and sinners. We'll think a bit more about them in a moment or two. But sufficient by way of introduction to say that such characters were notorious and it's Jesus dining in Levi's house with these various notorious individuals, which is the context for our text. I give you this morning Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, and verses 16 and 17. Mark 2, 16 and 17. In verse 16, we have the Pharisees' question. We read, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? This is the question the Pharisees asked. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And in verse 17, we have a Jesus' response. We read, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the response Jesus gives uh, to uh, the Pharisees. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners uh, to 
repentance. What we have in this episode is the beginning of a, a, a long-running battle between uh, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and uh, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Time and again, the Pharisees attack Jesus. Time and again, uh, Jesus uh, defends himself. And our theme for a few minutes from uh, these two verses this morning is Jesus and uh, religion. Jesus and uh, religion. Notice with me, will you, first of all, religion's problem with Jesus. That's verse 16. Religion's problem with Jesus. This question the Pharisees asked, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and uh, sinners. You think about these words for a moment and you realize that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they are making both an accusation and uh, an assertion. They are making an accusation that Jesus is spending his time with the wrong sort of people. Why is he spending his time with tax collectors and sinners, with individuals who are notorious and who many people didn't want to spend any time with at all. That's the accusation. He's spending his time with the wrong sort of people. And they're also making an assertion, namely that they, he should be spending his time with them, with people like them. That instead of spending time with those who these religious leaders regard as, as bad and, and wicked and, and beyond the pale, Jesus ought to be spending his time with people like them who are good uh, 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 and religious and, and all that they ought to be. So they think. Why the accusation? Well, they, they speak here of tax collectors and sinners. You can almost imagine them spitting these words out through their, through their teeth. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and uh, sinners? The tax collectors were particularly hated in Israel in Jesus' day. They were normally Jews, but they were working for the occupying Romans. And it was their responsibility to gather in the taxes. Only most of them were crooked, and as well as uh, gathering in the money that they were to gather in uh, for the occupying Roman authorities, uh, they would gather in far more. And they would, uh, they would keep the change, and they would line their own pockets at the expense of uh, the misery of ordinary hard-working people. So these tax collectors were, were hated and, and were, were despised. And then the word sinners here, of course, we understand that biblically we're all sinners in the sense that we have all sinned and we've all come short, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the word sinners here is used by the Pharisees to, to speak of those who, who were notorious, to speak of those who were the kind of headline sinners of the day. It would have included the, the prostitutes and many other uh, such characters who were, were regarded as, as the lowlifes of a first century uh, Israel, Israelite society. So these were notorious individuals. They were those who 
in the Pharisees' terms, hadn't kept the rules. Uh, they were those who were regarded as the worst of the worst. That's why the Pharisees make their accusation that Jesus is spending time with the wrong sort of people. But why, why the assertion? Why, why should Jesus be spending time with, with, with the Pharisees and not these, not these others? Well, the Pharisees, they, they were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they were, were in charge of, of organized religion. Uh, they were, in the society of that time, a respectable individuals. They were those who kept the rules, at least in theory, and um, they were the religious elite of the day. So in summary, we could say the Pharisees thought they were good, so they were worthy, so Jesus should prioritize them. Whereas the Pharisees thought these others, these tax collectors and sinners, were bad, so they were unworthy. And so Jesus shouldn't prioritize them. And we have to be honest and say that nothing's changed. We may not be in first century Jerusalem, but it is exactly the same in 21st century Britain. That religion says it's all about you. It's all about you trying to be good enough. It's all about you trying to uh, do enough uh, good. And so religion in the general, religion at large, has a problem with Jesus because it detests a gospel of grace. It detests the message of salvation which says we can come to God and be reconciled to God and uh, be uh, friends with God not on the basis of anything we've ever been or will ever be, not on the basis of anything we've ever done or will ever do, but only and solely on the basis of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that he is and all that he has done. That's religion's problem with Jesus. It was in first century Jerusalem, and it still is in 21st century Britain. <coughs> But will you come on with me to notice, secondly, Jesus' problem with religion. That's verse 17. Jesus' problem with religion. Because not only does religion have a problem with Jesus, but also Jesus has a problem with religion. He says to these Pharisees, to these religious leaders in verse 17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Notice the illustration Jesus employs. It's really that of going to the doctor. He talks about a, a, a physician. He says you go to the doctor if you're sick. You don't go to the doctor if you're well. Now, I know, no doubt, if we spoke to some doctors, they would tell us that there are some people who do go to the doctors when they're well. But in theory, at least, you go to the doctor when you're sick. If there's something wrong with you, you seek out the doctor. If there's nothing wrong with you, you don't need to go to the doctors. That's the illustration Jesus employs. And he does so in order to make this point. That he has come to call to repentance. 
to call sinners to repentance. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying that we're not going to come to Jesus Christ if we consider ourselves as righteous. If we think that we're good enough for God, then, then we have no need of Jesus according to our way of thinking. And there's no reason that we should seek him. But Jesus hasn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. For those who are like the sick, feeling their need of the doctor. For those who know that they are fallen, sinful human beings and feel their need of a saviour. Now we need to take care at this point and understand both what Jesus isn't saying and what Jesus is saying. He's not saying when he says, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, he's not saying that the Pharisees were righteous and uh, didn't need to repent. He's not saying that he only came for, for some people in the sense that, well, some people are naturally righteous and others are naturally sinners. And so those who are naturally righteous don't need him, but he's come for those who are naturally sinners. No, 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 no. He, he, he's not saying that. He's not saying that the Pharisees were righteous. Well, what is he saying then when he says, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance? And what Jesus is saying is this, that a tax collector like Matthew was given to know that he was unrighteous, to feel himself to be a sinner, and so to repent and to seek mercy in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas by contrast, these Pharisees, they thought they were righteous. In their own way, they were every bit as much a sinner as a Matthew or any of the other tax collectors or any of these others that they looked down on as, as sinners. They weren't in a separate class. They were, they were all in the same boat. But the difference was they, they considered themselves righteous. And Jesus is saying that he, he didn't come, he hasn't come for those who consider themselves righteous who want to think themselves good enough. But he has come for those who know themselves to be unrighteous and who are willing to admit that they are bad enough. You see, in summary, it's not about whether we're good enough. None of us can get to God or get to heaven by being good enough. But it's about whether we're willing to admit that we are bad enough. Bad enough to need a saviour. Bad enough to want a saviour. Bad enough to let go of every other hope and confidence and trust and place all our hope and all our confidence and all our trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. It was the case when Jesus was here on earth 20 centuries ago that many despised him and rejected him because they thought that they were good enough. Maybe others needed a saviour, but, but not them. But others followed him, like Matthew, and so many others, men and women, boys and girls. Others followed him because they knew that they were bad enough. They needed a saviour, and they discovered the Lord Jesus Christ to be just the saviour 
that they needed. And again, nothing's changed. Again, we may not be in first century Jerusalem, but it is exactly the same in 21st century Britain. That most people who reject Jesus, who cast his message of salvation aside, do so because they are too proud to humble themselves and admit their need. Many will seek some sort of religion, but they will stop short of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, you see, is Jesus' problem with religion, that there are those who want to seek God on their own terms and think they can rec be reconciled to him by their own efforts. He says, I didn't come to call people like that who think they're righteous as they are. But I came to call sinners. Those who know and feel themselves to be sinners. I came to call such to repentance. That they might turn from their sin wanting to hate what once they loved. And that they might turn to the Lord Jesus wanting to love the one whom once they hated. And to trust in his life, his perfect life lived on their behalf. And to trust in his death, his substitutionary death, died in their place and for their sin. And to trust in his resurrection, his victorious resurrection from the dead. That they might be saved, not only for time, but for eternity. So, religion's problem with Jesus, that was verse 16. Jesus' problem with religion. And that's verse 17. They say every good sermon has three points. Well, we know that's not true. And you'll be the judge of whether or not this is a good sermon. But it does have three points. So we've thought about religion's problem with Jesus and Jesus' problem with religion. Think with me, will you, thirdly. Let me ask you a question. Which problem is your problem? Which problem is your problem because let's be frank each of us will have one or other of these two problems each of us this morning finds ourselves either in verse 16 of mark's gospel chapter 2 or in verse 17 of this chapter what i mean is that either we share religion's problem with jesus we think we can be good enough. We think we can do well enough. We, we don't feel any need of the Lord Jesus. Or we share Jesus' problem with religion. And we realize that religion is just not going to cut it. That we can't get to God by our own efforts. And we need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So which is it? Think in your own mind, in your own heart about yourself. And your response to the message of salvation this morning. Which problem is your problem? Do you share religion's problem with Jesus? Or do you share Jesus' problem with religion? Do you share religion's problem with Jesus? If you were honest, you would have to say, like these Pharisees of old, that he seems interested 
in the wrong sort of people. You want a Jesus, if you're going to have a Jesus, you want a Jesus who will affirm your self-righteousness. Not one who will seek out the unrighteous. To put it bluntly, you think some are unworthy. Unworthy of Jesus, unworthy of his time, unworthy of his attention. But you feel sure you're worthy. And he ought to be interested in you. Because you're the kind of person who is or at least could be good enough. On your own terms. That would be to share religion's problem with Jesus. Or do you share Jesus' problem with religion? And as you think about it, maybe this has been a growing awareness over weeks or months or, or even years, or, or maybe it's just something that uh, you're beginning to awaken to even as you hear the gospel preached this morning, but you begin to know that you're not worthy. Indeed, that no one is worthy. None of us are worthy in and of ourselves. You understand that we are all sinners. We may be notorious sinners who have committed notorious sins. Or we may be very respectable sinners who have committed very respectable sins. But you understand that we are all sinners who are all guilty of sin. And that ultimately there is no distinction because according to God's law, it takes only one sin to keep any of us out of heaven. And it would take only one sin to shut any of us into hell. And you're beginning to realize that the good news isn't about you and your worthiness. About how worthy you are or how worthy you could become. But rather the good news is about Jesus and his worthiness. How worthy he is. And that the answer is to let go of any hope in your own worthiness. And to place all your trust in his worthiness. The holy, righteous, spotless son of God who came into the world to save sinners. To put it this way. If you were to be saved, if you were to be reconciled to God, if you were to escape hell and to enter heaven, you must understand that it is not about what you can do for Jesus, but it is about what he has done for you. His perfect life, which would give you the righteousness that you need. His substitutionary death, taking your sin and paying the penalty due to you in his own body upon the tree. His resurrection, having conquered death and hell and the grave, rising again, having the power of an endless life, having eternal life himself and offering everlasting life to all who trust in him. 
that the way of salvation, the only way of salvation, but the way of salvation which is still open this morning, is to let go of any supposed righteousness, worthiness, or anything else of your own. And it is to trust in the righteousness, in the worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. As we come towards the close this morning, let's remember Jesus' illustration. You know the one in our text about the sick and the doctor? Imagine you're sick. You know physically there's, there's something wrong with you. What can you do? Well, you can pretend you're not sick. Or you can admit that you are. And you can go to the doctor. And you know, don't you, that in that ordinary every day, it doesn't matter how much you pretend you're not sick. It doesn't matter how much you tell yourself or anybody else that there's nothing wrong with you. If you are sick, it doesn't matter how much you pretend you're not. It's not going to change your situation. It's only going to make it worse. No, if you're sick, you mustn't pretend that you're not. You must face reality. You must do the necessary you must get yourself to the doctor. And if the well-being of your body is important, and it is, how much more important the well-being of your ever-living and never-dying soul. And God's word tells me about my soul. And it tells me about your soul too, that that we are dreadfully sick, sick with sin, that we have not loved God, that we have not loved one another, that there are all sorts of things we should have done that we haven't, and all sorts of things we should never have done that we have. And my sins may not be yours, and yours may not be the same as the person sitting next to you, but we are each of us, all of us, sick with sin. And so again you have two possibilities. You can pretend that you're not. You can pretend that all is well when it isn't. And you can just go on and say, I'm not going to take any notice of the preacher and I'm not going to take any notice of the Bible and I'm not going to take any notice of the gospel and I'm not going to take any notice of Jesus and I'm just fine how I am, thank you very much. But deep in your heart you know that you're not and pretending that you are won't change anything. You can pretend and every day of your life will take you nearer to a lost eternity. Or like the person who's sick. And realizes they're sick. And determines they must go to the doctor. You can wake up. And you can come to Jesus. And you don't have to try and improve yourself. Because remember, he, he didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. That's the only qualification for you to come to Jesus Christ. That you are a sinner. And you can come to him with nothing but your sin to bring. 
and you can cast yourself at his feet and you can cry out to him and you can say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You said you're calling sinners to come to you and so I've come and I'm repenting of my sin. Lord, help me to hate it. Lord, I'm looking to you. Lord, help me to love you. Will you be my saviour? Will you be my friend? Will you be my Lord? And then you will discover for yourself, not just intellectually, but by personal experience, this wonderful, this glorious, this matchless truth that Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Religion isn't the answer. Religion won't help you. Religion isn't what you need. But Jesus is the answer. Jesus will help you. And Jesus is just who you need. So it's time to get up and to come in repentance and in faith to him. Amen. Our closing hymn by way of response to the gospel is 516, 516 in the hymn books. I hear thy welcome voice that calls me Lord to thee for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary. Oh, that some a dear soul might be able to say and to mean these words for the very first time. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary. The closing hymn.
Now the God who hears your cries and listens to your prayers be the shelter above you, the tower around you, the rock beneath you, this day and all the days until Jesus comes. Amen.